Welcome to the Drop the Mic podcast, where we'll dive into conversations with some of the music industry's most established professionals. Like all of our episodes, what you will hear today has been created and curated by Stanford students who are breaking their way into the music scene. I'm Jay LaBeouf, and I lead Stanford University's Music Industry Initiatives. Whether you're aspiring to launch your career in the music industry, are already a music industry pro, or just curious to learn more, we've got you covered. Get ready to hear from some of the industry's best managers who've worked with big-time artists like Jai Wolf, Cody Simpson, and Sandra Cavazza. Today, you'll listen to exclusive interviews from artist managers John Allen, Jamie Stigliano, Ben Klein, and Carrick Stevens. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into the conversation. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Drop the Mic. My name is Megan Aguilar, and I'm a member of Stanford University's Class of 2020. This week, we're going to get an inside look at what it's like to be a manager of a recording artist and hear from some of the industry's finest. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Stanford Music Industry Podcast. We are your hosts, Ismail Liban, Megan Aguilar, Juan Martinez. Today, we're going to be talking all about artist management. And we have some really awesome guests who are going to share some of their insights into the music industry and tell us what it's like working with different recording artists. So we wanted to know, how does one become an artist manager? After talking with a few pros, we realized that there is not one single clear path to becoming an artist manager. Our first guest, John Allen, a manager at Buddy Allen Management, didn't know if he would go into the music industry at I didn't know or think I'd be in the business at all. I went to college. I played soccer. I thought I was going to either be in sports or, or play sports. But looking back, it's like I was around it. My grandfather was a manager. He managed Motown groups like the Spinners and Sister Sledge and the Tramps. John learned that he loved working with recording artists by diving in and trying it out. I don't think there's anything like real life experience. And just trying something and screwing up and learning the hard way. I think experience is what has taught me to, to be a manager by just trying it and <laughs> trying things. Carrick Stevens was currently the head of A&R at Lowly, a record label under the nations. A YouTube network with over 50 million subscribers studied computer science and engineering in college. During these years, he started becoming exposed to the music industry through his brother, who's now the head of dance music at Google and YouTube. As Carrick met different professionals through his brother, he quickly became more interested in working in the music industry. I think as a whole, it was just me being super interested in, in the business side and, and music side of things, understanding composition, A&R, um, publishing, management, really everything. Ben Klein, founder of Cubic Management and manager of Jay Wolf, grew up playing music, but eventually decided he would get into the business side of the industry. I always loved music. I, I grew up playing instruments and sang when I was much younger and came to the uh, quick realization that I would not be a recording artist myself. But I you know, decided over that break that I wanted to do something more productive with my time. I had built some relationships with some writers and there was a rapper whose music I, I loved, you know, I, I just cold reached out to him one day through Facebook messenger and 
told him I was a huge fan and that I felt like I, I could really help him develop and asked him if it would be all right if I wrote him up a business plan to, to show him that, I, you know, I could be useful in, in helping develop his career. So he responded pretty quickly. I wrote him up a business plan, sent it to him, and he was on board, started managing him. And the, the, I guess the reason why I, I decided to do the management track was because to me, it was like the least frictional way to enter the music business. You know, I didn't really know anybody at the time who worked in the music business. I had, you know, sent a ton of emails to the, the black hole that's, you know, the agency application portal and the record label internship application portals. And so for me, it was just, it was just like my way in basically. And I, th- I think it's like something that I want to note is that I didn't really know what I was doing when I did that. And that's a, a useful, you know, takeaway that I, I, I like to share with people is that, yeah, like I, I read blogs and I knew a couple of writers at blogs, but like that was the extent of my knowledge of the music business outside of very common sense things that I picked up over time. It's really just the idea of like, if you want to be in the music business and you really, the most important thing is that you find an artist that you can work with and attach yourself to. Jamie Sigliano, who managed Eric Benet, Cody Simpson, and Juliet Sims, actually started out in marketing. My experience in the music industry really started during my time at a major record label where I worked in marketing. So I wasn't on the management side at that time, but I worked with tons of managers. And so during that time, I learned sort of, you know, the nuances of artist management. As I saw the climate of the label world, you know, really changing, I transitioned over to artist management and publishing. So I went to work for a company called Primary Wave. And at that time, we were managing artists like CeeLo, an R&B superstar named Eric Benet. We were managing a young kid named Cody Simpson. And it was really exciting because at that time, I brought all that label, you know, almost nearly a decade of label experience over to that. And I had just so much more context rather than just jumping in and deciding that I I was a manager, I had so much more context for what it was like to, you know, what the label side was like, because any, any artist that's signed to a label, you have to work in partnership with your label. It's a collaboration. It's a symbiosis. So uh, one thing I learned at that time was just all the sides of collaboration and, you know, really getting in alignment with your team to understand what are we working towards? What are you bringing to the table? What am I bringing to the table? And that's something that, you know, has stuck with me for many, many years. What Jamie is saying makes perfect sense. There's so many people involved in building up an artist. I'm sure having that experience on the label side was essential. Exactly. Managing an artist takes a village, and a great artist manager knows how to collaborate with the other key players in an artist's career, which is something John has also experienced. So you have to speak with the marketing department about, is this aligned with the brand and the artist's vision? And will the audience that knows them and the audience that doesn't know them yet, when they see this piece of content or this photo, like, will it reflect exactly how the artist wants to put themselves out there? So we're the buffer. We have to make sure that everything released on behalf of the artist, whether you know it's assets, PR, interview questions that are tweaked, whatever it may be, like the artist approves it. I use the rule of pretend the artist is in the room when you're, when you're speaking or sending that email you know, metaphorically, because at the end of the day, it's their career. It's great to hear about how a manager sees their role in relationship to the artist. Jamie also talked about this a bit when she discussed her entry into artist management. 
I saw that time and time again when I was on the label side where managers couldn't really make decisions without consulting their clients. So one of the decisions that I sort of made when I decided to pursue artist management was that I really wanted to find artists that it was a more of a collaboration and more of a partnership. I really wasn't looking to just serve an artist. I was looking to bring the talent I had to match and align with their talent to help them create success. Something we wondered was then, how do you ensure it's a good match? So, you know, the first is just selecting the right people, you know, and that is something that can, people aren't always what they seem. So, you know, if someone's referred to you, I'll give you a great example. I, I took on an artist to manage and soon thereafter, after I did, I got a phone call from their former manager that said, don't do it. Don't do it because, you know, here's some things about this person you may need to know, A, B, C. And so, and, and I, you know, in my mind at that time, I was like, oh, no, no, I, I can work around those things. Well, six months later, I was like, God, I wish I had listened to that person. So, you know, definitely, you know, you, you seeing, reading people for face value, like seeing the signs that kind of come with them, looking for those flags of like, you know what, this person's not going to get in alignment with what we're trying to do. And, and, and when people, as soon as people, you know, people will tell you what you want to hear, but as soon as their behavior shows something different, you got to make decisions, you got to make moves and you can't be afraid to part ways with someone or you can't be afraid to say, you know what, this isn't working for us. And it's not, it's nothing personal. It just means that, you know, the timing doesn't make sense and the situation doesn't make sense for us to collaborate at this time. So it's huge to find the right people because if you start off with the wrong people, then you're going to spend the whole rest of the time just tug of warring with their personality or their, their vision versus your vision. And, you know, even though their credentials might be great, just the personalities aren't working. So one thing I've definitely learned is just spend the time up front to vet the person, learn about the person, see how they work, study them, talk to people who know them. You know, with LinkedIn nowadays, you can see so easily who you know in common. Find out about that person you know, get to learn and, and know them more. I mean, this is why the music business becomes pretty, as they say, kind of incestuous because once you find your people that you love and you like working with, you stick with those people. And that's, that's really essential to, to building greatness is, is, you know, finding people you know, like, and trust and then building from there. So it's, if you don't select the right people from the beginning, be it a client, be it a business partner, be it any, any person that you work with on your team, you're going to spend, like I said, the whole rest of the time tug of warring with their personality and with their vision versus your vision. So it starts with just putting the right people on the bus. And then, as they say, then putting people on the bus in the right seats, you know, figuring out who makes sense to go where. Um, and if you, don't, if you don't spend the time up front selecting the right people, everything else is going to be so difficult. So I'm getting the sense that alignment between the manager and the artist is also key. It sounds like building trust is essential for working with an artist and that strong collaboration skills are what helped managers build that trust. So you have to communicate with your artists and you have to hear their vision and you have to go out and execute for them. I have about five clients and they're all coincidentally based in uh, the country of Sweden. I'm living on Skype and Slack and FaceTime and now Zoom talking to my clients. I'm over communicating. I'm always available for them. So communication, I'd say, is, is probably the number one thing between a manager and a client sounds like it's important for managers to show their artists that they're always there for them. I agree. Jamie also brought up a great insight into how managing your emotions is so important when communicating with the artist. Well, you really have to be able to manage your emotions. Managing your emotions is a huge part of being a manager because, you know, you're dealing again with a, with a recording artist who typically you're very, very emotional. They're also, they also have very high ego. 
and they also have very high expectations. So I sort of have referred to this in my career as, as literally managing the three E's, egos, emotions, and expectations. So that is a huge trait. And so with that comes being a sophisticated communicator and being a sophisticated listener. So it's a dance, you know, it's really a dance. And it's sort of like if you've ever seen Jerry Maguire, you really have to put your own, you know, there's a part where he says, it's a pride swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about. And I've watched that scene so many times in Jerry Maguire because it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Managing artists, it's really very pride swallowing. So, you know, it's really important that you have that kind of level of uh, emotional intelligence and that level of, you know, sophisticated communication where you can really take in the information that you're given, understand how to deliver it back to them, how to, how to deliver bad news because sometimes there's going to be bad news. You know, I had to tell an artist that they were dropped from their label. It sucks. You know, it's, it's not fun to be, you know, to have to deliver that. But obviously you're going to have lots of good news to hopefully deliver as well. I love what Jamie said about the emotional intelligence needed sophisticated communication. It sounds like a lot of understanding goes into that. In our conversation with Carrick Stevens, he emphasized that one of the most important skills for a manager was empathy. The ability to empathize. That's the most important thing, not only with the artists, but with all the stakeholders within the business, whether it's like an assistant or the A&R at the label, the marketing team within the label, the Spotify team, Apple team, DSP teams, to really just understand their perspective and just work with them on that, that human level rather than you know, it just being a dollar sign or just a business. Uh, I think you'll find some of the most polarizing figures within management just because such few people are able to, to carry that burden. It's a huge responsibility. So empathizing on a personal level and, and business level is incredibly difficult to do and, and doing it at a super high level is even harder. And many of our discussions, including our conversation with Ben, we learned the significance of empathy. I think like empathy is probably like the number one skill that is required to be an artist manager. I, I, I often will say that you have to manage within the framework of your artist values, because if you're a very fundamentally different person than one of your artists are, and you value different things, if you can't do that, if you can't understand they are who they are and they believe what they believe, then and, and approach each conversation with them with that in mind, then, I mean, it's just going to be contentious the entire time you're working with them. And I feel like it's going to be, it's going to be you know, super unproductive and it's going to end up with you guys not being able to work together. Something we were curious to learn about is how do artist managers find the right recording artists to work with? We asked John Allen if he could share his approach. I think you have to use your gut and then you need to be aware of what your strengths are as a manager. I can fall in love with a hip hop artist, but my strengths as a manager and being able to bring them opportunities aren't so much in that lane. Now, can I figure it out? Absolutely. But what I, what I personally have, have learned you know, in my time being a manager is I understand pop music and I understand dance music. And so far, the artists I've worked with are somehow related to some form of pop or some form of dance. And being able to navigate those worlds, it's, it, it, you put yourself in a better position to help your client. So that's, I'd say the second part of the answer. The first part, which is the most important, is really believing in the artist. You know, artist management 
you may not see any uh, reward from it, you know, financially, so to say, for several years. So you need to really believe in the artist and have a great relationship with that artist. We're starting to get a sense for how important relationships are in the music business between the artist and the manager, between the different teams working on behalf of the artist. We also wondered about relationships between recording artists and how managers support different collaborations. One of John's clients, Sandro Cavazza, recently put out a song with Kygo. Here's what John shared about that relationship. He's on his album. And Sandro, so I've been working for Sandro for two years now, and people know him from, he was very close with Avicii, he wrote and yeah. worked with him a lot. Kygo now has become, this is his third song he's done with Kygo. So I'm very excited about that. I think, you know, Kygo and his team are great. and. He's one of the nicest guys and him and Sandro have become like best friends in a way, you know, the Norwegian Swedish combination has worked nicely. And um, so I'm excited about that. But I think we work so hard on the management side, you know, getting songs ready and getting um, the releases set and making sure you have everything, you know, all the boxes checked so that when something's out in the world, it has the best opportunity to, reach as many people as possible and touch as many people as possible. So we all asked Ben to discuss what motivates artist collaborations and how he fits into that equation. The main business function is introducing yourself to an audience that would convert that otherwise might be unfamiliar with you. Obviously there's just like the creative utility and like collaboration. You might just create awesome art that you otherwise wouldn't make if you were writing on your own. Sometimes an artist will just want to work with somebody because they're just genuine fans. I wouldn't recommend an artist does a tremendous number of collaborations with artists that they're not going to be getting new fans from, but writing music is a very human thing. And sometimes there's that other part of it. Just the artist wants to do something in a very personal way. And your job as a manager is to obviously help them get out of their way sometimes, but it's also to pick those moments where you can really support them and you can acknowledge that, you know, maybe this isn't, necessarily the most strategic collaboration but if we're willing to limit it to just this one because it's something you're hyper passionate about then you know that's fine too different managers have different criteria for who they want to represent some enjoy building the artist from the ground up while others look to work with those who already have a strong sense of their brand and what they can offer we asked our guests their thoughts on how to build up their artist identity well, I think the most successful artists already have a very strong sense of that and they don't necessarily need a manager to define it for them. That is who I look for when I you know, was looking to take on new clients. I really wanted someone with a very strong point of view um, because taking someone who's just totally raw clay, it costs a lot of money to develop them, takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of luck. It really takes a lot of luck. So I would recommend if you are looking to manage artists, you really find someone who has a very specific point of view, either from a fashion perspective, from a lifestyle perspective. You know, I've worked with, consider taking on clients who reach out to me and, and then I'll, I'll say, I'll say, well, you know, okay, so let's talk about social media. What kinds of stuff are you, you know, are you putting on your social? And they're like, well, really just, the, I just really want to make it about the music. I just really want to make it about the music. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be about the music, but folks, you know, they buy into you. They buy into you as an artist. So I can't think of anyone, any artist that I like, that I only like their music and I don't particularly have any interest in them as an artist. Maybe here and there, certainly there's great songs that you're like, I don't even care who sings it. I love it. 
But if you're looking to develop a strong fan base where hopefully when we can start, you know, touring again, uh, they'll come out and buy tickets for you. They'll follow you on social. They'll tell a friend about you. They'll subscribe to all of your platforms. Um, they're looking for some of the, a very interesting point of view. So yes, you can refine that and you can craft that. But if an artist doesn't have that before you even start working with them, you're going to be in a battle with them for many, many, many months to come because if they don't already know, they're not going to necessarily trust you to define it for them. And I don't want to define it for them. I'll refine it for them, but I don't want to define it for them because the creativity has to come from their head and their mind and their brain, and they have to have a strong point of view. But I've worked with an artist, a woman named Neon Hitch, for several years who, when I first met her, she definitely had a very strong point of view. Great example of an artist who knows exactly who she is, and she had a very interesting backstory. She literally grew up in a circus as a circus performer. I didn't make that up, even though people thought we did. <laughs> people thought we made that up. We really didn't. You know, there was documentary footage of her as a child living uh, in a trailer and traveling with her family and doing acrobatics and things like that. So that's an example of where, you know, for me as a manager, we had a lot of fun with her, with her background, her personality, her fashion sense. So I wasn't defining any of that for her because she had a very strong sense of her personal style. She knew her story, where she came from. I just picked out the parts that I thought would, would be the most interesting to people. Anything from like when we do press interviews, things I would point out to the uh, journalist about her history and how that directly related to her current project we were putting out, to visuals we would create for her. So, you know, if you leave it completely up to an artist, they're going to go in one direction. But if you have that manager, they're refining it. You are going to always stay on message. And if you look at some of the content that we put out around that time, you can see it's just a thread of consistency of the brand. So again, I didn't define that and I certainly didn't make up her history. I didn't create her backstory. I just, you know, helped use that as a thread for the story we were trying to tell. If you don't have an artist with a strong point of view, your job is going to be very difficult unless you just have a smash hit of all smashes where their point of view doesn't matter. And that certainly happens sometimes. But for the most part, you'll see the artists who have real longevity, they have a strong point point of view and they have an opinion and they have they have interests and they have a lifestyle and they have a color to them that makes them fun to work with and easy to market so if someone doesn't have that point of view it is going to be a really challenging project i can imagine so it sounds like it's great when they come in with confidence in what they're passionate about and what they have to offer to the music industry and their followers right Absolutely. And the, and the best ones are ones that do have that confidence, but they also are collaborative. When I think about some of the greatest artists in, in history, I can't imagine that every single thing came out of their own brain. It was definitely a collaboration with their team, but it has to start with the artist because if it doesn't, you're pushing a boulder up a hill. It's just too hard to impose your vision for the artist on them solely without them meeting you halfway. So people support what they help create. If they're not already, you know, aligned with their own vision. If they don't have a vision, then it is really, really, it's just, it's just impossible. Dowda Leonard is the CEO of Create Safe Incorporated. Over the last decade, he's worked across the music industry in management, publishing, producing, A&R. And he talked about his experience working closely with artists to discover their unique image and how to creatively channel their unique talents. What does allow you to succeed, in, succeed internally? And what that boils down to is how you manage yourself. But the only way to get here is really through self-management. What you may or may not know is that now, uh, more than any other time 
in the history of man do you have the ability to be a artist? Uh, we all start out in this world as creatives. We are, we, you know, we are by nature creators. It seems that a strong sense of self is really important to an artist connecting with their audience. I can see that. So one thing I'm thinking about is how do they go about defining that audience? I think another huge thing that artists make the mistake of and managers do is not clearly defining your audience. And I think this is really important for, like I mentioned, Machine Gun Kelly or like Neon, like I mentioned, is really having a strong understanding of who you're targeting. This is marketing 101. Because if you try to target everyone, it's just too broad. Just because everyone could like you or would like your music, like, oh, grandma's down to college students. That is the mistake number one that you make in marketing in any business. You have to really define who your core is. Is, and certainly you can scoop up folks from outside of that radius, but you have to cater to the core first. So a manager's job is to figure out those parts, you know, is to help you define who is your core and what are those parts of your brand image and story and your music that is going to appeal primarily to that core. And then we build out from there. So don't let the idea that, oh, this appeals to everyone fool you or distract you from really focusing on that core and that base. So that's a manager's job. When I talk about enhancing, I talk about keeping the artists uh, really focused on that base and super serving those folks and building out from there. We wanted to get Jamie's take on how artists build out that audience. And she talked about the role social media is playing these days. I think you're seeing a shift on that right now because, you know, not even right now, over the last several years, I mean, obviously the internet is everywhere. So it's really tricky to just zero in on one city or state where the old way to do it was to start with their hometown. Okay, we're going to build regionally and build out from there. It's challenging now because you could have fans from all over the world, but it doesn't mean you need to go tour in Germany yet. It doesn't mean you need to go do a campaign in Mexico because you have a handful of folks who are following you from Mexico. So, you know, with social media, which is where every artist should live, you have to live on social. Anybody that, that says, well, I'm not good at social, doesn't come naturally to me. That is not an artist you want to work with because if you're having to post on their behalf, your project will fail. It will sputter out. You'll lose gas because you can't pretend to be the artist 365 days of the year. It's just impossible. So I think it's really important to really understand that core demographic and know like where do they live online? So it's less about where do they live geographically, in my opinion, but where do they live online? Who else are they following? What things are they reading? What media outlets are they consuming? When you're building your base online, it's less, like I said, less a matter of the geography. Since social media is so important to develop an artist, we wanted to get more perspectives on how managers go about working with their artists on these platforms. For myself, I don't like to have control of the, the artist's social media. I'll definitely advise. I work with a number of big influencing companies. I work with every person in the industry who does media slash influencing campaigns for all the major labels, for all the independent labels small budgets, big budgets. And it's, it's really about taking that knowledge and trying to just educate your artist on what works. And if they're willing to actually apply that, then awesome. I think that's how you get these acts that blow up, not only streaming wise, but on social media simultaneously, just because I think the general public understands that they understand it and they get it and they're ahead of the curve. Hint like Billie Eilish and those type of artists who just have everything working at the same time. I think 
as a manager or a person advising an artist, you really just have to understand them as a person and knowing not to to press on the gas and, and when to. But as a manager, I think it's important just to keep a distance and let them be their own voice. But there, there is artists who, who don't touch social media, you know, and have a full team for it. We live in an age now where new technologies are constantly being created and innovated to make our lives easier. And it's clear that these tools are helping artist managers too. John Allen talked about how Slack has been a great way for him to communicate with one of his clients. Slack, I I fell in love with that platform. Are you familiar with it? Isn't it great? I love Slack. Yeah, I love Slack. I love it. (laughs) It's, It's funny with the noted that I just mentioned. In our Slack uh, group, we have multiple channels. So one will be about photos and social media. One will be about songs. One will be about like pitch songs and demos and whatever. So on one channel, we could be like arguing about something like very (laughs) heated. And then like something comes in about, you know, we could be arguing in the photo chat about what to post, like really going at it. And then a song will come in on the other channel and be like, hey guys, here's another song. And it's like, you can switch from fighting and then like loving each other <laughs> and it's it's i think that's what's actually great about slack you, you almost compartmentalize everything and you don't it doesn't spill over so you can have your battles in one channel and then you can be focused on the other channel so i just i always laugh about that we all laugh about it together i love that but, yeah <laughs> it kind of keeps everything organized i'm sure exactly. that makes it easy on you too when you need to refer back to something instead of scrolling through the entire chain of messages you can just go right to the channel Exactly. As we all know now, COVID-19 has significantly changed all aspects of society, one being the music industry. We are curious to learn the perspective of an artist manager on this, and what our guest shared was really powerful. I think the pandemic, you know, this COVID situation, for me, it put everything in perspective. This is a career. I enjoy what I do. You know, you get lost in it. You know, some days you're extremely excited about something the next day you're extremely frustrated and sometimes you think you have control and then you realize you don't i think being able to like see that all we need really in this world not to be all philosophical but like you need your health and you need you know friends and family you need relationships and and i think this strange time has you know humbled everybody especially in this business some of my artists were booked for big festivals and Normally, if you're booking an artist with you know an, your agent and the festival, there's negotiations and things get heated and you're arguing and you have a bad taste in your mouth sometimes. I mean, it's, it's part of the business. Like not everything's rainbows and butterflies, but at the end of the day, when like all these festivals are being canceled and venues are closing and promoters are being put out of business, we need them to exist as well. So you kind of learn to respect everybody that is in this business. We're all humans and we all have you know, our lives and, and we're, all, we're all humans. And it's nice to be in the competition and, and business and, and all that. And, and you can't lose that. But I think with what's going on now, it's like, you kind of just realize you have to step back. You know, you got to take care of yourself. You got to be grateful for your health if you have it um, and the people around you. And if, if this isn't brain surgery. Like it's not life or death. Of course, you're trying to create a livelihood for yourself and for your clients and it should be taken seriously, but it's not as serious as a lot of people take it. And I think being able to reflect on that normally, and it's magnified during this this period, I get reminded a lot from, you know, I have older, uh, more experienced mentors. I'll call them and be frustrated about a situation and say, what would you do? And they're just like, well, first of all, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you're going to be okay. 
it's not that big of a deal. Like give them the percentage or give them the money. It doesn't matter. You got what you wanted and, and keep it moving. It's not worth your sanity. Those kind of conversations and those lessons um, from people who've been here before has helped me personally. I'm grateful for the position I'm in. It's not so serious. I, I respect it, but it, I'm not going to let it deteriorate me. Like some people allow it to. Assuming that touring will be back and given certain precautions will happen and there'll be some macro and micro intricacies with all of that, there's going to be a massive revolution in terms of styles of music, I think. I think we're going to hear some of the best music we've ever heard. New artists popping up and, and blowing up and coming to the surface just because of, you know, being stuck in a room for six months. Some of the coolest art is probably going to be coming out in, in many different forms uh, from bringing ideas to life that they had creatively, musically, whatever it is. And, and then obviously, I think people being stuck in their rooms and stuck in their houses and whatever that situation is for that person you know people are going to want to go to festivals people are going to want to go to shows people are going to be going to to multiple shows a week and multiple festivals in a month i think it's really going to thrive and we're going to see a huge musical revolution in terms of what's coming out and, and how people are doing things in the live space well that's all we have for today there's clearly a lot that goes into artist management I was surprised by the variety of factors that go into managers choosing what artists to work with. I loved how there is no one right way to becoming an artist manager and reaching success in the music industry. We want to sincerely thank our guests, Jamie Stigliano, John Allen, Ben Klein, and Carrick Stevens for being so generous and sharing their stories and insights. We also want to extend a huge shout out for Tony Rodriguez for making the music for this episode. And if this podcast made you interested in becoming an artist manager, Jamie highly recommends looking into the Enneagram test and reading up on Enneagram 4s. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, uh, the Enneagram personality test, but artists are typically fours. Fours are, are, are self-perceived to have a very unique talent that is exclusive only to them, and fours are very unique individuals. So if you're considering getting into artist management, I highly recommend you study the Enneagram and you look at the four, because it will tell you a lot about the person and how they operate, how they make decisions, how they communicate both in conflict and day to day. These different artist managers all had unique paths to success, but one commonality is that they found what they were passionate about and went for it. So I think that's something we should all keep in mind. Let's stick true to what we're passionate about and just go for it. You know, when you're a manager, you're you know, you're a therapist, you're a psychologist, you're a sometimes a nutritionist, you're a fitness trainer, you're a chauffeur, I've done laundry for artists. So, you know, you have to really uh, be able to be very flexible and malleable, you know, knowing that in their mind, there's no one like them, even if you've seen it before. I think if you're going to work with an artist and, and really devote your life and, and your time and just your entire energy to someone, you just got to make sure that that person is, is really in line with with you as a person and you think of them as family, uh, that's incredibly important. I think at the end of the day, like you have to have clarity about like what you want to accomplish as an artist manager, whether that's being as successful as possible, 
whether that's making the biggest impact on communities or making art that shifts culture. So for me, I really enjoy helping build people up, helping enhance people's talent, you know, building something from the ground up. And all throughout this time, I had this kind of side hustle hobby where I taught my own dance classes just for fun. So at that time, I took my little side hustle and I decided to expand the business and, and I actually decided to franchise the concept. So we're now in about 20 cities across the country. The concept is called Diva Dance. We're pop music inspired dance choreography classes. That concludes today's episode of our podcast, Drop the Mic, Music Industry Conversations. Thank you to all of our guests for spending their time with us and sharing their insights on the artist management world. We'd also like to thank Tony Rodriguez for composing the season's theme music. Tune in next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, when we will sit down with recording artist Sun Kuma, manager of Leon Bridges and Carly Rae Jepsen, Jonathan Eshak, and Oscar-winning and Grammy-nominated engineer and producer Daniel Rowland to talk about all things music production. We're the Stanford students that help put this season together. To hear all our episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stay up to date with everything we're working on, including a playlist that features all our musical guests from season one and our social media accounts where we post sneak peeks of what's to come, check out our website at dropthemiccast.com. This has been Drop the Mic. Thanks again for tuning in. We can't wait to share more with you next week.